G'day guys, g'day ladies, welcome to another Guitar Wank Podcast. This is number 62 on the Guitar Wank Podcast series, the never-ending series that we have going on. I am your host, Troy McCubbin, and uh, this is a Guitar Wank Podcast. We sit down and hang out with Bruce and Scott and myself and just shoot the shit for an hour and talk about whatever comes up. Oh, we're lucky enough to have some guests come in, which is always a lot of fun. And this week we have Mr. Marvin Smitty Smith, an amazing badass drummer. You might have seen him on the Jay Leno show for all those years, uh, playing drums there. And also you can see him in Bruce's band, but he gets around. He does a lot of different stuff, which is cool. So we had him on the couch and it was a fantastic hang. Thank you so much, Smitty. It was... uh, it was a lot of fun, man. I really enjoyed it and uh, appreciate you bringing all the energy to the show, which you did, which is fantastic. Uh, if you have a question, a query, a thought, you want to yell abuse, you want to stick it up them, uh, send it to guitarwank at gmail.com. If you have a query, send it there and we'll jump on it. We have a lot of questions. I'm slowly getting through them. So, uh, yeah, just be patient. Uh, also, also, you can go to the website, guitarwank.com. We have a donation tab. You may have heard of it. You can go to the website, and if you feel inclined to donate, do it. Uh, send me an email, and I'll send you some pics. Sounds like a fair deal, I guess, right? You can buy T-shirts and mugs there. Um, leave comments, whatever you want to do. Find us on Facebook, all the social media waste of timers. Uh, you can also... Thank our sponsors, who are Deodario, Guitar Strings, Jimmy Dunlop, Guitar Picks, Wire World Pro Audio Cables, AEA Ribbon Microphones, Sennheiser Microphones, Exotic Pedals, you guys rock, Sir Guitars and Amps, amazing stuff, MyRiffMasterPro.com, yeah, all the above. So thank those guys, we thank you dearly, and uh, let's just get straight into it with Marvin Smitty Smith and Mr. Scotty Henderson, Bruce Foreman. Thank you all for tuning in. And please spread the word. Pass it along. Uh, we're really trying to amp up. We're trying to reach 100,000 listeners uh, by the next couple of months. So if you guys can spread the word, tell your friends, share it, that would be really awesome. And uh, keep the feedback coming. Okay, guys, what do we have in store for the guys this week? Thank you. 
<laughs> yeah, I, was, I, I think at that period, you know, yeah, yeah I was like yeah. ready to tear something up, man. Yeah. So I'm like just kind of, I was feeling, I guess, rate or relegated to like, you know, which which is cool, but it was just like, I guess that at that at that period, I was just feeling like I just wanted to beat the brakes off of some shit. <laughs> but uh, well, well ahead, I just right. yeah. Welcome to Guitar Wank. We have the everyone here. Scott, Bruce, welcome as usual. It's always What's a pleasure. Up, we have our first drummer on Guitar Wank. Oh. <laughs> Marvin Smitty Smith. Hey, Woo-hoo! thank you guys. Hey, great to see you guys always, man. Uh, thanks for having me here, man. man uh, well, you might want to wait till afterwards to thank me. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I, 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 I know you guys are cool, man. Before and, you believe, you, know, you got to make sure you, we get him a mug. Oh yeah, a mug. We're gonna we give him a, a mug. mug. Oh, a guitar wank mug. Yeah, guitar wank mug, mate. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. I appreciate so, that. Yeah, man. Yeah, you yeah. know, man, it's such a pleasure. I mean, I've always, I've seen you with Bruce, and obviously seen you on the Jay Leno show for how many years was 15 that? Fifteen and a half years. I Fifteen was and a half. Yeah. I always wondered, like, why is the drummer so happy all the time? Man, because I got a steady you. gig and I'm getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I was smiling, man. <laughs> I love now, it. No, after I got divorced, I wasn't smiling no more for a while. But, uh, you know, yeah, okay. <laughs> but um, well, awesome man, I, to I'm have you I'm just going to go on record and tell you right now that you're one of my all-time favorite drummers ever. And that well, includes you. up there with Tony and Jack and Elvin and all those cats. Man, you are a bad motherfucker, and I'm just happy to know you and and have got a chance to play with you a couple yeah times, yeah man, man. you're yeah. a bad dude Ditto. yeah well, well thank I, you that that same here that same yeah here. thank you bruce and and thank you scott man and then i i hold you guys in uh high esteem as well as 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 guy as people and as players man and it's always fun to play with you guys man i remember uh you know the the couple two three times i got to play with with Scott and Scott Kenzie, man, that that was fun. Uh, Jimmy was really Earl, fun, yeah, you know that was funny. That was fun, you know. And that, you know that that's what it is, man. Just making music be open and let the music just go where it wants to go, man. Yeah. I'm, I, I really have a thing about musicians that just really compartmentalize and want to box things in and. You know, it's just like, man, can't you feel where the music's wanting to go? And you, you, you're just forcing it to just stay in this, you know, kind of stasis, you know? And it's just like, man, the music wants to fly, man. And it just, that's one of my pet peeves, man. When, when guys, you know, when they're, they're lacking the sensibility to, to really understand, you know, the possibilities of where the music can go. And they just want to keep it in this place where... It's just dying to break out. Well, know? don't you think that's because they're afraid? Part of it is. Cause, cause, you know, even, it, even though we sign up for jazz to be improvisational right. and to do all this, even though that's what we, we, we pride ourselves in being, when the shit really hits the fan and shit starts going out of control, the guys that try to control it really are afraid because they're not sure... They're not sure they can handle where it's going to go. Well, that, and that, that goes and to their but, limitations. But, but, but that's just, a, it's also, it's even not because I think musically they could handle it. I think it's just, they're not the kind of people that are comfortable in that world. You know what I mean? And and, yeah. and therefore they're really not jazz musicians. You know what I mean? Well, in that, a certain that's what way. I'm going to, to in terms of limitations, in right. terms of their vocabulary. Yeah, but you know, you if know. you... you Whatever vocabulary you got, you'll make it work if you go with the common, you know, like, a herd of cows stampede in that direction. As long as you go in that direction, you're going to be okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Okay. You mean like there's see, lots of guys with limited vocabulary that have you know that have 
made it work mm -hmm. in really complex places because they didn't fight the shit. They didn't right, try to yeah. keep it somewhere. They rode with the direction. No, I see it your went. point. I well, see. To your be point. to be devil's devil's advocate, I just I don't want to mention a name, but I went and saw a really good musician one time and and uh, guitar player and. Well, so make up your mind, musician or guitar player. Hey, bucket of fish. There came a time in the music where it was pretty open. And I got to say that the guys who were playing, it wasn't the particular band leader solo, but it was another solo, a keyboard player, a saxophone player. And they took it to some really kind of other shit that really didn't fit the tune. It uh -huh. looked like the band leader was a little pissed off, right? Uh -huh. Because I'm and I'm all for just let's go, let's see where it goes. Right. But when it comes to the point where it goes so far that it no longer fits the tune and does a disservice to the tune, mm -hmm. then that's where I guess you got to draw the line. And yeah. good musicians wouldn't do that, right? Right. You know what right. I mean? Right. They would. They would. They would take it in a way that not only would it be musical, right. it would fit the tune, but they yeah. could take it in all kinds of nice directions, but it has to be a part of the tune. You yeah, don't yeah. go you know, into different time signatures. Still, they, you're, you're splitting it. <laughs> yeah, right. You're splitting hairs there because yeah. really the nature of jazz is there's a certain amount of anarchy and and what you're expecting is is a certain amount of respect and aesthetic understanding of right. what where the limitations exactly. should yeah. be not right. because they should be limitations but because taste dictates yeah. and you know and and let's face it everybody's got a different aesthetic and, and it's what we all kind of sign up to be part of jazz mm. yeah. you know and of course if a guy continually t you know shits all over your tune then you you get rid <laughs> yeah, of yeah. Him, you, 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 you like, get a new guy yeah, you know? exactly yeah but but really him. that's just kind of what we sign up for in jazz if you know <laughs> yeah. otherwise we would be classical or arena rock where we have a show and mm -hmm. we just do the show yeah. yeah, yeah, but it, but we all know those musicians that we love, and you know that they never shit all over the tune. Right, they, right. They play really adventurous. They take it out. They do all kinds of shit, but somehow they make it always be musical and fit the tune. Exactly. Yeah, right. And yeah, and that goes to the sensibilities of exactly. of, of, of knowing, of a, like, of okay, a great musician. I'm, I'm, I'm still right. maintaining the character of what the of what the composition exactly, is, right. right, and right. what the leader's trying to present, right? Because yeah. that's what we're here to do. And yeah, I mean, that's that's. You know, unless you're just doing a jam and there is no tune, right. and then you can just fucking take it anywhere. Yeah, right, right. It doesn't well, matter if yeah. you change into a million grooves because yeah. there ain't no tune to begin with. And right. again, that's which is what we used to do with, yeah. you know, with Jimmy and Scott. Yeah, yeah. jam and see what yeah, happens. Yeah, see what you happens, what I mean? man. So yeah. that's a lot of fun. Yeah. <clears throat> no, that's very cool. Smitty, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Where you uh, I was born and raised in Waukegan, Illinois. It's a, a city, a small town. Roughly, uh, I guess right. I guess right now it's about seventy nine thousand or so. Right. Uh, it's forty five miles north of Chicago. Oh wow! So did you did you have parents that were musicians, or are you the only kid? My, my, you know, my dad. My dad loved the music, and he, you know, he he played drums on the side. You know, he just like he just loved the music, and uh, he had a bunch of records, and he would drive down. He he would drive down. To the city, as we would call it, you know, because he, you know, he'd go, he'd go see Bird, he'd oh, go wow. see Dizzy, he'd go yeah. see Art Blakey. He was friends with Johnny Griffin, you know, so he'd see mm. Griff with uh, Dexter or Gordon, or he'd see Griff with, uh, you know, Lockjaw Davis, you know. But he loved Gene Ammons, man. That was his man. <laughs> Jug was his man. He loved seeing Jug play, man. He would tell me, man, like, man, Jug, man, be playing. 
He didn't even need a fucking microphone, man. He just stand back, man, and he just had this whop, and this fucking sound would just fill the whole room, man. Cause Jug was that cat, man. Right. And everybody gave it up. And my dad would talk about how, you know, like uh, uh, he said one time that uh, Griff and and Dex was, were playing. You know, they were playing in town, right? They were playing a you know gig, and Eddie Harris walks in, and both Griff and and Dex was like. Nah, man, I ain't trying to have none of that, man. Because, you know, because Eddie had that whole intervallic, yeah. you know, stuff. And he knew all these different modes, you know, and all these things, man. And he knew how to put it all together. And and he could he could just, you know. And, and it's funny because Eddie didn't have the biggest sound by far. His sound wasn't huge. But that cat knew a whole lot of music, man. And he could just, just start weaving and bobbing and getting into all kinds of stuff and taking it, stretching it out. And cats, you know, like other tenor players, man, they wasn't trying to fuck with him, you know, because he could just just play some shit and you'd just be like, what? Oh, damn. <laughs> okay. You know, Eddie was great, man. Eddie was a beautiful cat. I only got to play with him a, 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 like a like once. Right. You know, but it was fun, man, because I, I dug what he was doing, man. So I used to see him. When play. did you start playing the drums? Oh, man, jeez, man. I started formal training at three. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, my godfather gave me a, a practice pad and a pair of sticks and, you know, and, like, my dad tried to, like, to teach me, you know, starting off, but, yep. you know, father-son relationship was way too close. Yeah. He's like, oh, come on, man. You don't, I'm trying, I'm trying, you know. <laughs> so he had me uh, uh, study with one of his buddies, and he was my first drum teacher at five, and he was a beautiful cat, wow. this cat named Charlie Williams. And, and he passed away like, um, man, I guess he passed away like the early 90s, I think, like around 91, 92, somewhere in there. Um, but, but Charlie had, had a great influence on me because he was the first drummer that I saw that could just play anything, man. Like he played piano trio, he played quartet or quintet, he played big band, he could play double bass drums, you know, he played, you know, he played rock, you know, stuff and, you know, he swung his ass off and, you know, so just seeing that as a kid, man, seeing him play in these different situations, you know, was uh, very influential to me. But it, it was interesting because I only studied with him for like a year and a half. How did and then five? he moved to New Jersey? Yeah, you were five. Yeah. Now, to just because I've got a five-year-old, and just to get the attention of a five-year-old to concentrate, so you were you were in love with the drums from day one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, my parents would tell me uh, the stories like when I was a baby boy. Yeah. I was just like six months old or something, man. And um, this would be, you know, this is before, uh, you know, our house got built because my, my father's mother, my, my paternal grandmother, mm -hmm. they, she lived next door. So before, uh, you know, my, my, my grandmother, she was a beautician. And so she had her business. She was making good money and she had our house built next door. Wow. You know, and this is, you know, back when, you know, aluminum siding, you know, this, she had her house built, what, 1961. Aluminum siding was the big thing. So she had it built, you know, three bedroom, one and a half bath, you know, with a basement and all that. You know, so, you know, so, so before that, <clears throat> you know, we were staying, we were staying at, uh, you know, my grandma's house. We were staying up in there. So my dad had the drums. He had his drum set set up in the living room yep. and he would go practice. Now, my parents both told me this. That when my dad was practicing, I was a little baby, I would just crawl into this, uh, you know, chair and just sit into the chair and watch my dad practice until I would nod off. 
and he'd still be practicing. And then once he would take a break and go in the kitchen and get some water or something, then he would hear like this, you know, this kick pedal, like I'm, I'm crawling and tending, <laughs> I'm hitting the kick pedal to try to boom, boom, you know. And then, you know, the old go in the kitchen and pull out pots and pans and go boom, 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 you know. So I, I was into it. And like I said, at formal wow. training at three years old, man. So, That's crazy. And I, I got my first, uh, you know, I started playing professionally. My first uh, gig was a big band gig at 13. And wow. how I got into that was at, when I was 12, and I'm in sixth grade, and uh you know my dad had a few friends that he would kind of play with you know play gigs with and stuff and so there was a rehearsal big band that was about a mile or so down down the road from where we lived and so uh they didn't have a drummer so uh uh, one of the guys in the band a buddy of mine or a buddy of my dad's uh it was a trombone player uh named vince delamorte he played trombone and, and electric bass and uh, so he said, hey, man, uh, you know, my dad, I'm Marvin the second. So right. my dad. So Vince would, you know, he went to my dad. He said, hey, Marv, uh, you know, there's this rehearsal big band, man. And, uh, you know, we do, you know, we're playing like every uh, Monday or Wednesday or something. And, yeah, we well, don't have a drummer. Hey, you think your kid be into it? He said, oh, yeah, I'll talk to him. So he said, you know, so he asked me, I'm, I'm in sixth grade, man. I'm 12 years old. I'm like, sure. <laughs> hey, after school, I ain't got shit to do. You right. know what I mean? So I started I started playing with this, you know, rehearsal big band, you know, just reading charts and all that, you know, boop the bip and and then uh, you know, so like that was like in the fall. So like about, you know, five, six months later, there it was a gig in the summer, you know, outdoors at the park, and you know, it was a it was a gig, what what, what they call the transcription gigs, you know, where you had to sign union, the green sheet. The union, yeah. You know, union for the for musicians who now the trick was you had to be 16 to get a union card. I'm 13. But there were four guys in the band that were on the board of the union, so they rigged me a union card at 13. <laughs> wow. So that's how I got to do the gig. Did you move to New Jersey, then you moved to L.A.? No, no, no. No, uh, no I, I, you know, I grew up in Waukegan, you know, went through, uh, you know, grade school, high school, played in, you know, concert band, concert orchestra, and, you know, that whole thing. But, um you know, then when I graduated um, high school, then I was thinking, you know, I was trying to figure out what school I wanted to go to. You know, I mean, there was FAMU and, you know, University of Florida There's, uh, you know, this, that and the third, you know, uh, uh, Columbia University in Chicago. You know, that just would have been a train ride to go, you know, but I was kind <clears> of. <throat> You know, I was kind of feeling about leaving home, man. I, I just want to kind of get away, you know, because, you know, as a, as a, you know, black kid in the Midwest, you know, my mom, you know, I grew up in church, you know, I grew up, you know, going to church every Sunday. And then, you know, like sometimes some Tuesdays they have BTU Baptist Training Union and, you know, you know, they had the Wednesday night prayer meeting. You know, So my mom, you know, would have all five of us kids, you know, we, we had we grew up in the church every Sunday, you know. And, you know, me and religion, I was kind of looking at it like, yeah. <laughs> so I couldn't wait to leave, right? Yeah, I couldn't wait right to leave home. Show. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't wait to leave home. So so then, you know, Berkeley College of Music, you, you know, like, uh, you know, my, 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 my second drum teacher, this great drum teacher, I studied with him for 10 years, named Donald Taylor. And he was the kind of, you know, cat that, you know, he would just give me records and say, hey, man, look. Go home, check these out, come back next week and show me what you got, right? So he let me discover things on my own, which was great. You know, he he gave me like, you know, 
he gave me like Wayne Shorter Juju, you know, and just you know, like you know, some other records and stuff, man. It's like different things, man. So I would just come back the following week. Oh yeah, man. See, like on this tune, you know, Elvin Jones was doing this, and then you know, like this and that, and then on this record, you know, Max was doing, you know. So that was a great, great period with with Donald, you know, Taylor, man. He he just like, you know, he allowed me to discover things. You know, and, and, and just gain my musicality in there. And he just kind of nudged me in a direction or whatever it is, you know, some point and maybe some technical things. So he was my second teacher. And then the last two years uh, I was in high school, I studied with this great drummer in Chicago uh, named Marshall Thompson. And, you know, he passed away. His wife, Irma, was a pianist, you know, and he and, and Marshall used to play with uh, the pianist, uh, Eddie, Eddie Higgins. And they oh, had sure. the trio. Yeah, sure, man. Yeah. And he and. And Marshall was just like one of those smooth swinging cats, man, played brushes like butter, man, just like real smooth and slick and just very tasty, man. So so I used to study with him. I used to take the train, the Chicago and Northwestern train from Waukegan to Chicago to the city, you know, get off in the loop. And I used to study where uh, Marshall would teach lessons at Drums Limited on Wabash Street. Right. So there was Frank's drum shop. You know, that, that very famous drum shop. So that was a few doors down. And then you had Drums Limited by a guy, uh, Bill Crowden, who owned the shop. And that was very famous. So I used to take lessons uh, every Saturday with <laughs> with Marshall, man. It was, it, you know, it was seven bucks a lesson. man. Wow. You know, so that was <laughs> my last two years in high school, junior, senior in high school. And then when I left. You know, I wanted to get away from home. I wanted to leave the church alone, man. I was just like, ah, I just, man, I just got to clear my head and everything. So Donald Taylor, my, my second teacher, he was like, well, hey, man, why don't you, uh, you know, why don't you think about going to Berkeley College of Music? Uh, you know, it's in Boston, so that's kind of close to New York, you know. So he was like, oh, okay. So, I, you know, I applied and everything. They accepted me. I was like, okay, pew, you know, went out there. And uh, that's where I met all these you know, all my buddies, man, all these great music, Branford Marcellus, Donald Harrison, Jeff Watts, <laughs> uh, Greg Osby. Oh, uh, man. Uh, I met Bobby Broom there. You know, Kevin Eubanks, uh, Victor Bailey. Oh, uh, man. Uh, wow. You know, it was, uh, Makoto Ozoni, man, uh, Wallace Roney. There's just a bunch of cats that were there at the time. And and we would just shed six hours every day, man, because... Because what they had was ensemble rooms that you had to book like two hours at a time. So three people would stand in line to, okay, I'm booking six to eight. The next guy would book eight to ten. And then, and then the last guy would book ten to midnight. And so six hours, it would just be like a bunch of cats in a room just shedding on tunes, man. Just learning tunes. And we did that every single day we were up there, man. It was wow. beautiful, man. How long were you in Berkeley for? A year and a half. Because I got a road gig. I, I did this gig. Uh, so, so it was after the, you know, after it was like Christmas break and I was going to go home. I was going to go back to Waukegan and, um, there was a piano teacher that would, that, that was teaching there and did gigs. His name was, uh, Alex Ulovnovsky and, and he used to play, you know, he would play gigs with, you know, some, some cats, even whenever they come through or whatever and around new England and stuff. So this one time, so this is December of 1980 and, he was uh, he had this gig with the vocalist John Hendricks, from, you know, from Lambert Hendricks and Ross. So he had his group uh, where he had his wife, Judith, and his uh, daughter, Michelle, was singing in the band. Bobby McFerrin was in the band, but he had just left the band. And he had this guy named uh, Bruce Scott who calls himself Mr. Z. Now he lives out here. 
Uh, so it was called John Hendrickson Family. So anyway, so Alan Dawson, the great Alan Dawson, was ske- he was scheduled to do the gig, but he couldn't make it. So the piano teacher, Alex Ulanovsky, called me. He said, hey, man, you know, I got this offer to do this gig up in Vermont with John Hendricks. You know, we got like eight nights, you know, uh, you know, hey, are you available? And I said, man, well, I was thinking about going home, but hey, a gig, man, you know, hey, I'll take the gig. So I did the gig and uh, I, I never forget, man, uh, I, I, I went to set up my drums early, right? So, <laughs> so I, you know, I'm 19. Yeah. So I go, you know, I go up and set up my drums. You know, I go up to set up my drums, and I'm setting up my drums, and John Hendricks walks in. And, you know, so he walks in, you know, he sees me, you know, and he's like, ah, so, uh, so you know, uh, when's the drummer coming in? And I said, well, I'm the drummer. He said, what? You're the drummer? I said, yeah, I'm the drummer. You know, but he looked, and he kind of had a little, I don't know, you know. So, so, he, so John goes to Alex Hulanovsky, and he says, Oh uh, man, you know what's up with this kid, man? I don't know, man. He said, and you know, Alex was like, "Look, John, don't worry, man. This kid is one of the, you know, he's one of the best kids I've heard in a long time. So he can do, he can do the job, you know. Don't worry." So you know, we did the eight nights and everything, and he was cool. And, and then at the end of the engagement, and he was like, you know, uh, you know, hey, uh, you know, you want to go to New York? And I was like. What? New York? Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, come to New York. We got some gigs coming up in New York, you know, in like, you know, like another, you know, week and a half or two weeks, you know. So, you know, we just took the Amtrak train and, you know, January 3rd, 1981, man, set in New York City, <laughs> man. I was like, wow, man. And, you know, I started doing some gigs with John, you know. Yep. I, I stayed with John for two years and didn't, you know, just acclimated on my scene and on the scene and met a bunch of cats and kind of took off from there. You so know? Wait, when did you move to L.A.? Yeah, when did you come to L.A.? Now, L.A., now, I, I moved to L.A. Uh, here uh, January of 1995. That's where I uh, moved to uh, L.A., Cause that's when I got the call from uh, uh, from my buddy Kevin Eubanks to come do the Tonight Show. He said, "Hey, man!" It, and it's funny because so you weren't on when when Branford was no doing when it? Branford when Branford first was when Tane Branford took it? the show. You know, uh, Tane, Tane. You know, Jeff Watts okay. was playing. Yeah. You know, Kenny Kirkland. Yeah. You know, Kevin Eubanks was just the side in, in the guitar. band. Yeah. Yeah. So so when Kevin when when Branford decided to leave and you know so Tane and Kenny Kirkland left. With Branford, uh, Bob Hurst, the bassist, he stayed, and you know Kevin took over as, as music director. And Kevin, I was, I, it was a Friday night. I never forget it. It was a Friday night, and I was doing a demo session, you know. So I'm in the recording studio doing this demo thing, and it's midnight. And my first wife at the time, uh, I get a phone call from her to say, "Hey, you know, you know, Kevin's on the phone. He, he need, he really needs to talk to you." So I'm just like, "Oh, okay, man. Uh, hey, yo, hey, yo, Kev, what's up, man?" He says, look, man, you know, hey, man, it's going down. You know, I'm, I'm MD of the show. So, man, I'm taking over. You got to come do this with me. Uh, man, look, there's a there's a ticket waiting for you at United Airlines. You know, uh, for, you know, first thing, first flight out Sunday morning. And I was like, Sunday? You know, this is Friday night at midnight. I'm like, Sunday? He says, yeah, man, we got a show on Monday, man. We got to get it right. We got to get your drums up and everything. We got to get all the sound. And I was like, okay, bro, okay, you know. Now, at the time, man, I was, you know, like, I was going through a divorce with my first wife. And, you know, it's like, you know, we were just going through it. So I was like, 
man, you know, I'm, I'm packing up clothes. I'm trying to grab whatever symbols I was going to use and grab <laughs> my drumsticks. And I remember, you know, I was looking for some escape anyway from this, <laughs> the, you know, this, the, the, the disillusion of my marriage, right? So I was like, man, this is like just a welcome respite, man. So I couldn't wait to get on that plane. You know, so that was great. That actually worked out. And then I, you know, got divorced in the interim, you know, like the, that about the. No, where were you? Where were you coming from? You were still in. I was in New York. Uh, Yeah, I was in New York. So I came out of New York. Let me ask you a question. And this is um, forgive me because this is such a long time ago. Right. But I used to go to this little club on way out on West Sunset Boulevard. And oh, the, the Wyndham Bellage Hotel? Yes. Yeah. And I stay here. Oh, that place. Kenny Kirkland yeah. and Branford. Now, were you on that gig too? No, no, no. Not then. Not it then. Because, because at first, they they started doing those gigs at uh, that club called Lunaria. Remember that club? No. They, never, they used, to, do, they used to play at Lunaria, and then they started playing at the Bellage. Okay. And they were doing that. So when I got to when I got to here to LA, you know, uh, they they kind of you know continued. So it was me, Bob Hurst, Ralph Moore, and uh, there was this you know pianist uh, that uh, named Greg Kirsten that uh-huh. would play gigs with. Sometimes John Beasley would play with us. Yeah, but know, Greg John. Kirsten did a lot of gigs. Some. So who uh, was that? Yeah. Who was the drummer that was probably playing with Kenny Kirkland and? Well, well that was Tane. I'm sure Tane. Oh, was it was. Yeah, well, okay. Tane was playing. Okay, so yeah. so I'm sorry I didn't remember. Oh but no, it's no, been, no, that's a long time yeah, ago, yeah. man. No, yeah, I, I just time. remember Kenny Kirkland. Is so the, what year what I was that that most, you came man, out I here? The, I I came out here January of '95. '95. Yeah, '95. I remember yeah. most that mostly. And of course, Branford is amazing, but I remember the most just being blown away by Kenny Kirkland thinking oh, that, the, that the piano was going to catch on fire. Man, man, I'm going to tell you, man. <laughs> Jesus. Man, Kenny, Doc Tone, man. That Holy brother, yeah, shit. Man, that was, was a real gift, did man. Kenny tour with Sting? Yeah. That was Sting? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did, oh, I did, yeah, I did one tour with, 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 with Sting. With, uh, it was the Nothing Like the Sun Oh, uh, you were on that tour. tour. Yeah, I did. Wow. Well, I did the first, like leg of the tour and yep. then i got fired because you know sting and i couldn't really you'll see i die but <laughs> but but man kenny man i remember when i first got to new york man because branford and winton introduced me to kenny and i man i i would hang out with kenny man we just hang and, and, and play man and, you know because kenny had this apartment it was on 30th street between uh 7th and 8th and and the building he was in it was it, it was a refurbished fur house, so all of the apartments had this vault, you know, because it was a fur house. So you know where they kept all the furs in the vault, right? right? So soundproof. So 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 it was totally soundproof, man. So I would hang out with Kenny, man, and then we would jam at night, man. I remember times where we, man, it was like three in the morning, man, and we were in this vault. So he had his he had a suitcase, <laughs> Rhodes, and a bass amp and guitar amp and drums. And man, we would just sit there and jam, man. At three, like three in the morning, man. We just sit up here jamming, man, and just like bashing and have fun. And it's in this vault, man. So nobody complained. You couldn't hear nothing, man. <laughs> it was beautiful, man. Yeah. It was great, man. And Kenny was such a great soul, man. That dude had the gift. I mean, that cat could play anything, man. When did and Kenny pass? Like, uh, what was that? Ninety-eight, right? Ninety-eight. Yeah. Yeah. 1998 yeah man that was a sad day man because that cat had a man he had yeah. such a gift and he could just he could just like just make any music uh, any music in any musical situation man he could just make the, the you know just the room elevate man it, he was just beautiful man 
Wow. I mean, just so sad. It's just tragic, man, because he had so much to give. And it's it's really sad that he only did one solo record, man, because yeah. he, he, mm-hmm. he had a lot of music in him, man. I know, man. That's fucked up because he died way, way too Way young, too man. soon, man. Just just what a monster. Just yeah, man. Amazing. And Sting, and, and, you know, talking about Sting, man, Sting loved him, man. Yeah, because he would just like he would give him a lot of lot of exposure and a lot oh, of oh yeah man he would just hook that music up man and would just like just grow man I, yeah. I, I never forget you know there's a video there's a video out of the of one of the tour you know from the you know the leg of the tour that I did with the nothing like the sun tour uh, in Buenos Aires you know and 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 that that there's a it's a DVD that's out there man with with, with that band. And man, it was me, Mino, you know, Mino Sinalu playing percussion, who was great, you know, beautiful man. He just turned 60, so man, man, you know, happy birthday, Mino, big 6 0, man. Wow. But uh, yeah, he was in the band, a uh, great keyboardist named um, Delmar Brown. He oh, played. I know Del- How is yeah. Delmar? Man, Delmar's all right. He was sick for a minute. I you know, know. And, yeah, definitely. And, but he, is he, he better? Yeah, he's better. I, the, I, the, I saw him two years ago at the NAM show. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or was it three years ago? I but think that's it was three that was the last years time. ago. I think yeah, that was three the last years time he was yeah. here. It was three right. years ago. Yeah. And that's the last yeah. time I saw him. And he looked uh-huh. well. You know, he had yeah. his wife and his kid. Yeah. Oh, he, looked cool. he looked he really, really, looked okay. really good, yeah. man. And that talk about a talent. Man, oh, yeah, man. Delmar. Yeah. Man, I saw this kid. He, he used to have this band called Bush Rock. It was just trio. It was just Delmar, uh, uh, Rael Wesley Grant on bass, uh-huh. and Kenwood Denard on drums, man. And if you know, if you... Don't know about Delmar. This guy could sing, man. Got a range, man. And could just sing. And he wrote all this original music. And that band, man, was just slamming, man. I used to see him in New York, man. And those cats would be killing, man. And Delmar, he was just like one of those cats that you kind of felt like, yeah, man, he's going to get discovered. You know, he's going to blow up. And it just never happened, man. It's a shame, man, because that cat had some talent, too, man. Really, like, you know, just some brilliant shit, Are you friends with Kenwood? Oh yeah, I knew. Ken, yeah. You know, I used to study with Kenwood. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember. He's, he's one of my favorites. You know, too. I love it, him, man. You know, because when great. I got to Berkeley College, you know, I met. You know, I met Tommy Campbell, and Tommy. Tommy's one of my mentors too. Uh-huh. You know, and Tommy was man, brilliant man. And you know, Tommy's back in New York because he he moved to Japan for a while, got yeah. married, got a kid. You know, got divorced, moved back to New York. He's been been back in New York for like five years, I think. Mm-hmm. But um, man, but I'm telling you, Tommy at the time, man. When, you know, I mean, because, of course, I grew up, you know, my vision orchestra, you know, and returning forever, you know, so Billy Cobham, you know, Lane White. And said, now, Tommy, man, Tommy had like his own personal style in that kind of, you know, Billy Cobham-esque, you know, vibe. But he had his own thing, man. So when I got to school, I, I, I swear, man, the very first day I got to Berkeley College, right, registered and everything. And I'm like. Hey man, where's go? Where you know? Where's a place to go hear some music? Hey man, there's this club called Pooh's Pub. You know, it's like just down a, f- a few blocks down. You know, and it's, and there's this killing band called the TCB Band, it's the Tommy Campbell Band, right? So I get there, right? And man, the band is just killing. So it was Kevin Eubanks, uh, another buddy of mine, Jerry Atkins, that worked on the Tonight Show with me. Uh, great uh, bassist named Baron Brown. You I know, know Baron. Yeah, Baron. You know, you I played with Baron and Jean Luc Party. Yeah, right. Yeah, we worked with Jean Luc Party. He worked yeah. with Gary Burton for a minute. Uh-huh. You know, and uh, Vital Information, Steve Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, he was playing bass. And Tommy, man, Tommy had this 
cherry red Gretsch drum kit, man. He had like six rack toms, you know, <laughs> a, a kick and, you know, a couple floor toms and then these two gong bass drums up in the, <laughs> suspended up in the air, man. And, and, man, and he was doing all the stuff in there playing, all that hard fusion, like, like Ma Vishnu-esque, you know, kind of. And it was just like killing, man. He and Kevin Eubanks had, had a thing together, man. And he was just like, you know, I'll just like, ah, you know, right? So, so man, I used to hang with Tommy, man. And Tommy was, I was just like, man, Tommy, man, man, wow, man, you kill him, right? And so Tommy would tell me about Kenwood. He said, man, you, man, you got to check out Kenwood, man. And everybody, all the drummers in Berkeley would talk about Kenwood. And he just seemed like this mythical figure that I had never seen, right? So I finally got to meet uh, Kenwood. And it is funny because when, when I got to New York and I was working with John Hendricks, 1981, we were, we were in San Francisco. And, you know, we were just, we had some days off before we, we did the gig. So I got to meet Kenwood. Somebody gave me his number and I called him. And at the time, Kenwood was working with the Manhattan transfer of all groups, to, you know, for Kenwood to be working with, right? So now, <laughs> so, so he said, hey, man, you know, I'm at the, I think it was at the Herbst Theater or something. They were playing with the transfer. So he said, man, yeah, you know, I got your pass. Come on, you know. So I checked out the show. So backstage, I go back after the show. I'm like, hey, Kenwood, you know, I'm Smitty. And yeah, man, Tommy, you know, yeah. like I'm friends with Tommy. And, he, you know, he, everybody told me to meet you. He says, yeah, man. You know, and, and Kenwood is like a freak of nature, man, one of a kind guy. This guy's got such a. You know, he's deep into the polyrhythms. I mean, you know, not just surface level. I mean, he's just like really deep into it. And he's doing five over seven over, you know, eight. And, you know, you know, and it's just like, and I, I, man, true story, man. So this is my first time meeting him. And I'm like, I'm asking him about polyrhythms. He said, yeah, but everybody talks about how you, you know, do polyrhythms, right? And he says, oh, yeah, man. Well, you got to just be able to hear the relationship. So now he, you know, he. He starts playing three in his left foot, right? So he's one, two, three, one, two. Now he starts patting four in his right foot, you know, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, you know, one, two, three, one, two. And then he plays five in his left hand, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, you know. And then he plays seven in his right hand, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And now he's starting singing rhythms on top of everything, you know. And it was like straight out of a freaking movie, man. I'm looking at each foot, I'm looking at each hand, and I'm listening to the rhythms he's singing. And I'm in my head, I'm just like, ah, you know, right? It, it just fucked my head up, man. And so, man, can I hang with you? He says, look, man. I'll be back off the road in like three weeks, man. So, so you know, I'll call you, right? So, you know, his mom was a music teacher. She had her own school called the Manor House in Spanish Harlem. So she had the storefront, which was a, a school, music school. Right. So I remember, man, it was like July, right? It was like July of 81. And here we are. I, I go up to his, to, to his uh, mom's place, right? You know, the warehouse. So, of course, he had the key, so he opens up. And so here we are. It's, it's like fucking two in the morning, man. And so he had this. He had his his drum set up, you know, where he had like roto toms, like three rack toms, three floor toms. He had a pair of timbales and bongos. Oh, he had cymbals galore. And he said, and then he had a little five piece kit with two cymbals over there. Guess which one I played on, right? <laughs> so so we're going there and we're trading aids and stuff. And man, and I'm just like, <laughs> so man, we just hang. And now, now here's another story, man. This is, this is some true legendary shit, okay? So I'm talking to him about time. He says, hey, you know, you know, Smitty, 
you, you know, you really have to internalize time. You have to get your inner clock right. Man, you really have to, you know, you really have to get your clock and really internalize it, man, and really understand. He says, man, okay, I'm going to show you something, man. So he takes a stopwatch. Now, man, I'm, man, I swear on a stack of Bibles, man. He took us. He takes a stopwatch. He says, man, you got to get your inner clock, man. All right. So and he goes, he takes a stopwatch and goes, click one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Pip and he shows it to me. He said ten flat. Wow. Ten flat, man. I was like, damn, right? <laughs> and, he, and he does it a second time, right? Then he does it a third time. Fuck my head all the way up, right? So now here, he says, okay, here, here you go. So now I'm clicking. I'm like 837, you know, 1122, you know, 1239. You know, I'm all over okay. the place, right? You just needed a better stopwatch. Man, right? so, man, so now my head is all fucked up because this cat is just like a freak of nature. And he's talking about, well, here, you got all these different, man. So I said, man, I studied with him for like a couple of years, man. I was just hanging with him, man, trying to get that. Man, here's another thing he did. He says, man, now you really got to work on your clock. He says, okay, man, uh, you know, uh, just tell me when to start the stopwatch, okay? And, you know, just tap me, you know, just tap me on the arm. And so, so I hit him on the arm. He go, you know, I hit him on the arm, click. Yeah, man, blah, 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 having conversation, blah, 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 blah. And, he, and then so, and all of a sudden he just goes, bap, he taps me on the shoulder, right? It stops the one minute flat. Hmm. I'm like, what? And he did it a second time. I'm just like, <laughs> what, the, what, the, what, you know, that's some, you know, brother from outer space shit, man. I don't know, man. That dude is deep, man. That's a deep dude, man. That, and he used to have this uh, thing, he, he, he called it the metarhythmic orchestra. It was a one-man thing where he'd have his drum kit. Right. He had two keyboards. So his left hand would play bass lines. And his right hand would play, you know, all the harmony and some melodies and shit. And he, he triggered, this was before electronics and before all this. So he rigged up pedals where he would have a pedal that would, you know, he'd press a, a kick pedal that would hit a, a snare drum. He would mount a snare drum so he could play, you know, like just the backbeats, you know. So with his left foot, he played a snare drum. So, and then he played a bass line in left hand. With the right you know, and singing, blah blah blah. And I'm just, man, I saw him do those gigs, man. I saw him do a couple wow. gigs, man. It, it just, that dude is on a different level, man. Is it? Is, you know, people really don't know. Is he still with us? Oh, yeah. Oh, He's been yeah. teaching at Berkeley College of Music for years now. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I first heard him on uh, Pat Martino, Joyous Lake. Yeah, yeah Joyous Lake. That's, that's a that famous that's record. That's the first time I ever yeah, heard Yeah, Delmar Brown's playing on that yeah, record. Yeah, that's the very yeah, first and, uh, time Rail I ever heard uh, That's the first yeah. time I heard him play. It was wow. like, yeah. whoa, this guy, is, he's a bad dude. No, he's a bad dude, man. In fact, there was a time, there was this concert one time. It was back when Mike... Stern and Jocko were doing heroin and they were just really fucked up. Yeah. yeah. So they played at the Wilton Theater Mm -hmm. and Jocko and 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 Mike Stern and Kenward Denard. And Jocko and and Mike Stern, they couldn't even really play at all. I mean they were just people were leaving, right? And I was gonna leave, but then I started listening to Kenwood and I stayed through the whole concert just to hear him. 
Yeah. Because he was playing such amazing shit. It, I didn't really fucking care if Jocko and Mike weren't playing. <laughs> he was playing such oh, devastating yeah. shit. Yeah. It was worth the ticket right. just to see him play, you know, and it was badass. Wow. Right. Yeah. And poor Mike and, and Jocko, they were, just <laughs> like, they were just completely out. Like, yeah. just fucked up. Yeah, but, no, man, yeah. So, Kenwood killed it. Yeah, Kenwood, man. That dude, him and Tommy Campbell, man, especially in the, in in their prime. What man? Oh man, that I, I never heard any any cats play drums like no, that. ever. tell me, tell me about Mike Clark. Do, oh, you, Mike. You, do you know Mike Clark? I know Mike. I and know Mike. Did you guys hang? I, you know, we only hung a little bit. You uh-huh. know, I, the last time I saw him was last year. I was playing in New York. Okay. Last summer, and he came through. He and Lenny mm-hmm. White came through. Because you know, he, him and Lenny are friends, right? Yeah, They're real yeah. good friends. Yeah. yeah. Right. And yeah, they both came to the gig, man. It, uh-huh. it was good to hang and chop. Because I played with Mike and and. And he wasn't really playing funk like he played with Herbie. He was more playing straight ahead. Oh, yeah. That's more of his thing. No, that's his heart. His heart is is swinging. He's always been that way. I mean, I grew up in the Bay Area, so I've known Uh Mike since, you know, since those days, you know. I guess maybe Herbie just Before asked that. him to play that. Yeah, and he, that and, 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 no, and, and, and he Herbie came had, up. Herbie cracked on him for the gig, and he said, "Hey, man, this is a good gig." And, and, it's and Herbie. he came I'm up take it. And, 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 but on thrust, and man, a lot of, down some funk, man. And a lot of the ridiculous. reason why it sounded so different was because he was coming from a whole different place from mm-hmm. you know doing it. You know, yeah. his vo- his vocabulary, his his world was different. So when he went to do it, it it came out different. Right. It was brilliant. Right. Yeah, man. You you guys got to talk to Mike Clark and ask him about this this story that he told me about when he when he finally got to go over to Tony's Tony Williams uh-huh. Tony Williams's crib. Man, ask him about that story. It's freaking hilarious, man. Because okay. yeah, just to, just to, you know tell it. But so so Mike was saying, man. You know, he always wanted to like you know like hang with Tony, man. You know, like so he finally. He finally got invited to Tony's crib up in, you know, I guess he was up in Mill Valley at the time or some some house up there. Right? Yeah. So so he finally gets invited, man. He's all stoked, like, yeah, man, yeah, hang with Tony, hanging it with Tony, yeah, at his crib, right? <laughs> so you know, knocks on the door, rings the bell, whatever. You know, Tony answers the door, man. Yeah, hey, man, you know, come in, right? And he sees. Tony's yellow drum kit, you know, the infamous yeah. yellow drum kit right there, right? You know, oh, you know, and all that, right? So, yeah, yeah, man, sit down, sit down. Tony asked him to sit down, man. So, you know, of course, Mike's sitting on Tony's kit, so he's trying to do some Tony Williams, you know, stuff with the flams and the blick of the blick of the No, 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 man. No, man, you know, like, you know, play play your stuff, man. I want to hear you play your stuff. So, you know, Mike says he starts playing, like, all the thrust stuff, you know, like all the, you know, uh-huh. like, funk stuff. And then, you know, he's playing, and then all of a sudden he hears fucking vacuum cleaner. Woo! goes up. Man, Tony starts, like, cleaning his house, man. He starts vacuuming and shit. And you know what? And, and so Mike's like, oh, okay, well, you know, he starts, and he's, you know, he's dusting, you know, Tony's dusting and vacuuming and stuff, goes upstairs, you know, dude cleans up, comes back down, so after about, like, maybe about 45 minutes or something like that, an hour or something like that, so, so he, you know, he stops, and, yeah, man, you know, so, so Tony, you know, Tony puts his arm around him, you know, and so he goes to the front door, and, they, you know, they're sitting at the porch, you know, and then it's just like, you know, Tony's guys on. Hey, man, thanks for hanging. You know, like, yeah. He said, "Oh, man, this is great. Yeah, man, this is great. This is cool." And so Mike, Mike is just feeling all good that he's hanging with Tony, and all of a sudden he hears the door slam. He turns around. <laughs> Tony just let him out the outside the front and just slammed the door, man. He just like escorted him out the crib. That was it. <laughs> That's cold blooded, man. Uh, Woo! 
I love Mike. Uh, wow. Mike. Mike is great. You know, I went on a tour with him, and I, I might have told this story, but but just to tell you, right. real short. Yeah. But my, we stopped for gas, uh-huh. and 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 me and Jeff Berlin, right. we were we were we were hanging. We we went in for some snacks at a Seven Eleven or something, and said we said, Mike, would you mind just throwing some gas in the in the van, so we put gas in the van, and we got out on the freeway, and the van died. Mike filled it up with diesel. Oh! <laughs> and we were dead on the freeway, and we had to get towed. <laughs> we barely made the gig. I mean, we walked in, we got to the gig just in time to set up the shit and play. Boom. Yeah, right. But like, holy fuck, we thought we thought we wouldn't make it. Because they had wow. to tear the whole van apart. Oh, Jesus, You know, flush no. out the whole, whole fuel thing, system. yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. Man. But we always kid Mike about that. Yeah, you know? yeah, like, Mike, want to put some gas in the van? Yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, funny. here that couldn't happen because the diesel don't fit in the... Yeah. Right. But on the East Coast, it, it can. Oh, wow. You know, and it's like the, the you got regular, you got super and you got diesel right. and it just fits in there anybody could fuck that yeah. up well, like, yeah. okay it's not really looking, <laughs> it's, yeah. anyway. or a drummer or a guitar player hey, <laughs> but you yeah know. right yeah. But, oh fuck well man. enough about my life <laughs> no, per se. no man Sydney, i gotta ask you um <laughs> about the jay leno years and and what was that? I mean, must have been that awesome. must have been the funniest gig ever. Must have been a great gig. <laughs> no, it was it, it was great, you know, because I mean, and this is the thing about doing these kind of gigs, you know, because you know, it's funny because some cats couldn't understand the gig. You know, it, it, it's all about perspective. I I I took it for what it is. It's a television show. The music is is like third on the totem pole in terms of priority. You know, we're just there to hype the studio audience and, you know, just kind of filler and whatever. You know, so from a contextual standpoint, I took it for what it was. I wasn't trying to make it, you know, live at the Vanguard or whatever, you know, like, and I, I didn't put that on there to, and, and then adopt the, uh, the attitude like, yeah, man, man, you know, man, we, man, I can't even get my shit off, man. I can't get to my shit, man, because, man, we just been doing this TV bullshit, man, you know. I didn't take it like that. I took it for what it was. Yeah. And you find the joy in that and you try to make some music with it and you know, and you learn some things, man, when you do that. And hey man, I got a job playing some music and I'm getting paid. Yeah. Okay? So I'm at this point I'm ahead of the game. So I'ma be cool. I'ma kick ass on this gig, man, try to make it work, you know. But some cats couldn't really see it that way. I mean they were trying to fit the square you know the, the the square peg in the round hole whatever you know and that's why they couldn't you know see, you know get with it you know the funny thing about it is like some of the cats were like yeah man those dudes sold out man y'all sold out man doing that get hey man if there's an opening man you know like yeah, right, 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 yeah, yeah, right, boy, right. right i said yeah okay motherfucker you know <laughs> but you know one thing i gotta say when 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 you see the show you, there's commercials yeah so you don't really realize it, but th- during those commercials, these cats are slamming. Yeah, yeah. Because I've yeah, been to playing. the show. I've been to the show right, three but times. They, but they're not—they're not really slamming yeah. like no, a they're jazz slamming. Gig. No, but they're, they're I mean, I know slamming. it kind of, but yeah, but the music you're playing is, you're not like playing like it's a straight ahead jazz gig. You're playing no, for the studio audience. No, they're playing straight ahead No, we, we, we would throw in some swing, yeah, you know. You, guys, you throw you in, but you're also, you're also doing a lot of other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We played some cover rock tunes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Man, I saw you we, guys playing fucking straight yeah, ahead. Right. I saw you guys playing Ma Vishnu Orchestra. Yeah, we would do that. I got you. I saw you guys, and I was like, 
this gig is fucking fun, man. Yeah, because not only fun. not only are you you know having fun with the show and blah blah right. blah, but on the breaks. They're fucking throwing down some serious shit. Yeah, right. You know? and, and I have I, to I give, I have to fun, give, I have, a, I have to give much credit to Big Bro, man, Kevin Eubanks, because yeah, he man. intentionally made it, made it, made like, it okay, fun, man. Look, yeah. this, this is my, this is my house. I run this. So the producers, <laughs> all you motherfuckers, leave me the fuck alone. I got this, mm-hmm. and I'm running the show here. Mm-hmm. I'm running my department, mm-hmm. and he would make sure that hey, you know, hey, we gonna do some cover pop tunes, rock tunes, whatever, man. But we, you know, on one of the commercial breaks, we're gonna slip in, you know, like some swing or something, man. You know, we're gonna get ours. Mm-hmm. You know, he intentionally made sure that we that right. that we would do now, that. Now, Smitty, it's a great I, boss, huh? Yeah, great yeah, boss. Great. Now, Smitty, great if you boss. go back about 2003, I actually played the Jay Leno show <laughs> with um, a band called Tattoo. It was two. Russian, their stick was Russian lesbians. Oh yeah, I think and we played the run, and we played the show. Yeah, and the producers us. said to us, the Jay Leno producers, because their their yeah. big stick was the kiss, right? Right. And the producers were like, Oh yeah, they were freaking out. They can't kiss. They yeah, can't right. kiss. Yeah. They- so the girls kiss, and they go to me right, on course. camera. What? I was on guitar <laughs> for like for like an uncomfortable twenty five seconds. They pan across to the guitar player which was me for 25 seconds while the girls are kissing (laughs) it was so stupid and then because that happened jimmy camel called us the next day and said i want you guys on the show so i can get the first girl kiss on tv right right, so we did the general jimmy Jimmy camel Camel show show, the next show and when we played the show they were like oh jimmy's gonna get the girls kissing this is gonna be a big thing and the girls wouldn't kiss they were like, fuck you, Jimmy, we're not kissing. Right. So we, it was like this big deal. But yeah, yeah. That was my experience. And Jay Leno was great. And I oh, met yeah, Kevin cool. Eubanks. And yeah, man. You guys that were all cool. so slamming. It was such a yeah, great thanks, show. Yeah, man. Yeah, you know, it was a great time, man. I enjoyed it. It, it. it was great. I learned some, you know, I learned some great things that I could apply, you know, in terms of musicianship from, yep. you know, just from, you know, from that experience, man. So it was all positive for well, me. You, you become... Yeah kind of pretty popular on the show like you're always pretty featured uh, yeah i mean you know they got me into some comedy bits yeah. here and there you know which i was saw fun. a couple of those fun. they were great it's just fun awesome, to do man, man. It's all, you know it's it's taking this yeah. comedy you know you just have fun with it don't take yourself too serious and just just have a good time so tell me when did you meet this guy Bruce. You know, well, uh, I guess we met what, like three years ago or so. Well, it was st- yeah, we met over the years. Over the years, you yeah. know, like at various places. But right. we we played for the first time about three four years ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was up at Monterey, man. We were in Monterey, and and you know the Monterey Festival, you know, is this everything? But at the hotel where they would house all the cats, right? You know, the, in the lounge area, the bar. Yep. You know, they had a, a house band and they play. So. Uh, you know, our, our mutual friend, uh, a great bassist by the name of Ray Drummond, the Bulldog, as we call him, he was there, and he was like, yeah, man, I'm playing. He was like, Bulldog was playing. He said, oh, come on, Smithone, man, you got to come play, right? So I'm like, okay, man, just yeah. like old times, right, Bulldog? So, yeah. so, we play, and he's, so he's like, man, you know, Bulldog was like, yeah, man, come on, Bruce, man, come on, sit in and play a couple of tunes. So, so we were playing, and I think it was a sax player that was playing some, you yeah. know. So we just played like a couple of tunes, and Bruce was like, Hey man, yeah man, that was that felt great man. That sounded nice. Hey man, so this was like a Saturday. Yeah, this was like Saturday night. So Bruce was like, "Yeah man, man, that feels great man. Sounded great. Hey, hey man, I got a gig in L.A. on Wednesday. Man, you want to do it?" <laughs> I was like, "Sure." He's like, "Great man, you're on." 
Is so that, it started from there. Is that where we met was on Kinsey's gig? Was that the first time we met or did we know no, each we, other? We, we, you remember, remember the thing we did like, like, I think it was like 93 or 94. We did the, we did the, the thing in Italy. We did the workshop masterclass for a week in Italy. Oh, remember we did yeah. that? Of course. Yeah, I do. man. Oh, man. That was fun, That's, man. Whoa. That man, was that fun. That just slipped my mind. And I was, yeah. you know, that was a long that time ago. a long ago. time ago, man. Oh, that was 94. God. Wow. Yeah, we well, did that. It was well, like that, a week-long uh, workshop uh, master class thing mm -hmm. somewhere in Italy. I'm trying wasn't to that, it wasn't that guy in Sicily, was it? No, 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 no. The no. guitar player who plays like Pat Metheny? No, no, no. I think it was a bass player that kind of hooked it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of that, you know, the first time I heard Smitty play with Bruce... That I just all I can remember is they played Billy's Bounce. Oh, and yeah. they played it so fast. I never heard anybody try to play it that fast and they did it. It's like if somebody asked me to play that tune that fast, <laughs> I would just go home and write a ballad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you, you, that's I write a ballad about how bad it feels to not have any fucking chop. Yeah, man. <laughs> that's that's one thing. When I've seen I you guys chopped. play, you guys are like, you guys are a power jazz trio. I mean, you guys fucking rock. Really, I mean, guys, it's that's a one. It's loud, trio, man. It's bad. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I, I you know, the thing I dig, I dig about Bruce, man, is that you know, hey, man, he, look. Clearly, he has the foundation of, of, of this music. So, you know, he played with Ray Brown. We both share that affinity of having worked with Ray Brown for right. for some time. And, you know, so, like, man, if you can't swing with Ray Brown, something wrong with you. You know right. what I mean? So, so, you know, just, like, swinging like that. So the foundation of the music oh, is no. there with Bruce. But Bruce, you know, hey, man, like, he, he can rock and roll with the best of them. And, you know, like, hey, we, we can go places. So... That's the thing I did with playing with Bruce is like we can stretch the music, you know. Like, yeah, we're swinging at the at the at the core of it, but hey, man, we can extend this and like, you know, take it, you know, take it somewhere and like, yeah, okay, man, and it's all good, and we still maintain the swing and the, and the groove and the vibe, man. And that's that's the fun thing with me, and I love guitar players. I, I mean, I've been very fortunate in my career to have worked with a lot of really really great guitar players i mean my big brother kevin eubanks you know love him man uh you know a great guitarist named peter leach you know and i did like six or seven of his records man great composer great player you know uh you know uh dean brown another good buddy of mine yeah. you know and i learned a lot of like harmony from from guitar players man bruce you know write some nice tunes man and you know just really has a great you know like great voicings man i just dig his voicings, man, how he can, you know, voice things and how he comps and all that, man. You know, so I learned a lot of nice things from guitar players, man. So, so now I got the big question. Yeah. What do you hate about guitar players? Yeah, this is a good question. <laughs> what do I hate about guitar players? Yeah, yeah what you know, pisses yeah. you off? Man, you know, not when you just don't know your shit. That's all, man. I did, you know, man, it's funny. Years ago, I remember I played this, I played, you know, I did this record. I did this record with David Murray. And on one track, uh, James Blood Omer played. Yeah. And I swear, I swear on a stack of Bibles, man, every chord he played was an E something chord. Because he would always <laughs> hit the low E string with any chord he would play. It was just like a boom, 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 you know. And it would just be, and he was just high as fuck, man. He's like, yeah, man. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and then we did this shuffle tune. And it just between blood 
And David Murray uh, and Lonnie Plaxico was playing bass on the record. And between the between David and Blood, man, I what is this? Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't even know. I was like, okay, man, I'm gonna just shuffle on through, man. Just whatever. So, yeah. so what are you? So, pet peeves about guitar players not knowing their shit. What else? Well, well, I, I, you know, it's just like if you just ain't, you know, your sound is whack, and you know, and you just don't have those. A vibe, man. You ain't yeah. pumping out no energy, man. It just sounds really just flat and the duck, you know, like, or if you're writing tunes and the tunes don't go anywhere. I mean, I swear, man, this, it was this one weekend that I, I, it was like the, like right after New Year's, back in my New York days, I did this gig with this guitar player and, uh, and bass player. It was a guitar trio gig up in Montreal. And is at this club, it was an old club called the 2080 Club. And it's funny, Peter Leach always talk about, yeah, you go in there with 20 and then you come back out on 80. Because, <laughs> you know, it was like one of them vibes, man, where, you know, let's say the, sh- the snow was being shoveled freely. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I, I man, I spent a month this weekend, man, with this guitar player who insisted on, you know, playing like a lot of his original tunes. And, you know, it, they, they just went nowhere. And the bass player was like, the bass player, he needed a bass player. You know, he was just yeah. like, yeah. you know, and, 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 and the club, the bandstand was like in the middle. So it was like in the sunken pit in the middle. And this is like, you know, you know, they were still smoking. So it's just this big, thick cloud of smoke. <laughs> man, I'm playing. And these, those were the longest two nights I think I ever had. Like, <laughs> game, you know, and this slutty, like South American, like, hostess man she was cracking on me and i was still i was married to my first wife at the time and she's like hitting on me and she just looked like she just went through every cat that played there and i was just like man i'm staying at this fucking youth hostel while the holiday Inn express is like right down the street and i'm looking out the window like <laughs> you know? oh that was the longest weekend man i swear man that yeah that was rough i, I think that was the worst gig i ever played with a guitarist well, seriously uh- so through, throughout your career, like, what has been like some of the highlights where you're just like, I cannot believe I'm playing with this cat right now. Like, what's some things that really stand out where you just, man, I'm playing with this guy, one of my heroes, or you know, when I when I got to play with Sonny Rollins, that that you know, because oh, I have wow. to give I have to give much props to Al Foster because he he he'd always been in my corner, you know him, uh, you know Jabali, Billy Hart, man, those guys were in my corner. Man, you know, when I first got on the scene and, you know, just try to turn me on you know, with the gigs. And so so Al Foster, Al had, had had talked to Sonny about me. And, you know, finally, you know, I got to do these gigs with Sonny. I'm like, man, I, man I'm, I'm playing with Sonny Rollins, man. I can't, wow. You know, that was that was deep, man, to play with Sonny. You know, was, yeah. so that was that was a, definitely a moment for you. You just like Wow, I can't believe I'm right here on. Yeah, with Sonny, you know, yeah. Sonny Rollins. Man. Yeah, you yeah, know, I that mean, was, that was heavy, man. Yeah, you know, like this to play. You know, I, I, man, when I got to, you know, I got to play with Hank Jones, man, who was just like, man, that cat was like Mr. Class. Wow, just straight yeah. butter, man. Unbelievable just, oh, butter. That's man, the, that would be the word I'd use for Hank. Man, butter. man, yep. straight butter. butter, man. He was just man, just the way he would just. Man, the, the way he would comp and just like set things up, his his knowledge of like harm, harmony, man, how he could like substitute, you know, chords and change. But still, the man. it was and the it was way he did it. Yeah, the, I mean, like I yeah. was, I got, I was fortunate when I got hired to be like in the Mont- Monterey Jazz Festival All Star Band, and the and the, the quartet was 
Hank and Shelly Mann and mm-hmm. Andy Simpkins. Yeah. And like I'm playing and playing with Hank Jones, it just felt so good. And I'd been playing with a piano player, a great piano player, right. uh, a lot in San Francisco. But it was it was like hard, you know, to play. And I'm like, and so I like set out to to really pay attention to what Hank was doing. Like, there's got to be a secret here, mm-hmm. you know. I got to figure out the secret because I want a comp like that. Right. And I'm listening, and I'm listening, and I'm realizing. He's playing basically the same stuff that this other piano player is playing. Like the voicings mm-hmm. are the same, the mm-hmm. voice leading's the same, the rhythms are the same, mm-hmm. the range is the same. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm yeah. getting everything the same except for the way he's playing. Right. Just the way all his rhythms were like butter. Whereas this one guy, all his rhythms like they had knives in them. <laughs> you know yeah, what right. I mean? Like he's stabbing like, it. Yeah, like, yeah, right. Cow. This guy had all his rhythms were like butter melting on popcorn. Yeah, man. And like anything he would do would never disrupt the groove, would never make anything you do sound wrong. And yet he was still suggesting ideas, doing all the other shit that the other guy was doing. Don't right. get me wrong. But the guy was like like a puncher that was jabbing at you all the time. Whereas he was just sort of caressing you with these like fuzzy gloves, you know. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, what it felt I mean, like, man, right? You, you listen to that something else record, that right? Cat Boy, right, right. With Miles, you know, yeah. he do autumn leaves, you know, and yeah. You know, it's just every syncopation is so friendly and light, and nothing is hard edged. Yeah, nothing disrupts the groove ever. Nothing disrupts the solace. Yet he's totally suggesting ideas. Totally shadowing ideas. I mean, he's right. doing all these things that you do, but he's doing it in such a way that it's like so fucking friendly. Yeah, and it was—it's shocking. I mean, and in the, over the years, I've played with him in various groups, and it's just—it blows my mind how like he is the quintessential guy who can give you for all of us who comp right to know. What it's like to really comp, regardless of what kind of voices, what kind of rhythms, what mm. kind of range, what kind of sound. Mm, this guy understands what it's like to make a soloist feel comfortable. Yeah, wow. and, and you know, uh, you know, Hank Jones, there, yeah, like totally, like president yeah. emeritus of yeah. that. You know, another great pianist was was uh, that that comp great. For, you know, for me, and I, I got to work with him was uh, Cedar Walton. He was another one. They called him the architect for a reason, man. Yeah. This cat could just like set shit up, man, and it'd just be like, ooh, man, that's sweet, man. Just how he set up a soloist, just, oh, man, he would just build, man. It yeah. was just, it was beautiful, man. Sir Roland Hanna had that too, man, where he could do some things. I used to work with Rollo, with uh, Frank West, with the New York Jazz Quartet. He was in oh, Thad Jones, Mel Lewis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, man, I have a lot of man. those records. Yeah, yeah. yeah man, Rollo was another guy. Tasteful, another another man. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Another, did you ever work? Uh, another guy was like that was Albert Daly. Did you? Oh, AD man. Only got to play with AD a little bit. I man. play with him a lot. Kenny man. Barons. Another, yeah, okay, another okay. Man. George Cables. Yeah, Cables. Yeah, man. I got to play with both of them. man. I mean, you know, and that's the thing with with guitarists and pianists, where. You know, that's another thing where guitarists fail to understand how to blend with a pianist, man. You know, when you're both there and you, you're competent, you know, you know, just just having that blend, man, where, where yeah. you know, okay, you know where to where you can drop it and, you know, where you can 
maybe play some single line, or maybe right. you could just lay out and let him, right. have it, or he'll, or the pianist will lay out and let you have it. You right, know? right. Well, that's, that kind of thing. that's Peter Leach was good at. at yeah, that well, too. you just understand where you where you are, you know, and yeah. and. Would you, would you get asked to be a part of it? Yeah, but. Ted Dunbar. I got to play with Ted Dunbar oh, a little bit. He sure. was great. At yeah, band. you know, yeah. That, that's kind of an, an interesting thing. You know, I mean, it's it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's 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 a thing that most people don't ever learn because, especially now, there's just not a lot of playing. Yeah, you know, guys don't play enough. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and you only learn that by trial and error and hearing when, when you're on the band. I mean. I like I grew up listening to Bobby's band, you know, mm-hmm. in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and with Cables yeah, was right. in the band, yeah, who I, I did I did a number of records with, and yeah. you know we did a duo record, yeah. and um, and I'll tell you, man, I heard that band I can't tell you how many times, mm-hmm. yeah, I've heard and then the first times. night, then they hired me to work in the band, mm-hmm. the first night I was on the band saying I couldn't believe. How much I'd missed <laughs> sitting out in the audience, just feeling what that yeah, was like. Right, the feeling just being on the inside band. of it. Yeah. It was like I couldn't believe it. I figured. I mean, I knew all the tunes. I knew all the arrangements. Right. They like they didn't need to worry about that. They could call any of their repertoire. Right, you. Were I there. was there on yeah. it, but feeling what was happening yeah. and really being able to react to it was such a learning experience. It was like, and it taught me, Bruce. You, you know. There's so much you can hear, and the rest you need to experience. Well, there you go, guys. Thank you so much for hanging around. I hope you enjoyed that podcast with uh, Smitty. Uh, he's a lot of fun, man. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, we've got plenty more with Smitty uh, that will come up in the next few weeks. We'll sort of mix it up a little bit. But, um, yeah, if uh, you have any requests or anything, please send it in to guitarwankergmail.com. Also, thank you to My Music Masterclass. If, uh, if you guys don't know, go there and check out all the videos they have on, uh, especially Scott's and Bruce's. They have some killer videos there. And uh, if also, if you want lessons from these guys, you know you can get a lesson off Scott and Bruce. They do Skype lessons. So, um, yeah, just write to us at guitarwank@gmail.com, and uh, I'll forward it on to them. Or you can contact them on their website. You know how to find them. Google, bitch. So, uh, yeah, uh, until next week. We'll see what we have. I have no idea what we're putting up next week, but it'll be fun, I hope. Uh, I love having these different guests and different people come in. I think it's... I don't know. I like it, and I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I do because I love learning about all these amazing players, and especially I think it brings out of brings out something different in Bruce and Scott all the time too. So hopefully that's coming across. Anyway, really appreciate the support. Keep the love coming, and uh, we'll keep going with Guitar Wank 62, 63 next week. Woohoo! Can't wait to 69. <laughs> oh baby, yeah. All right, have a great week, guys, and uh, spread the guitar wank. Lots of love, and out.